Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey guys, welcome once again to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens. I'm your host, Josh Downs. Today's episode is episode 48, and we're going to be taking a look at 1st and 2nd Peter. This is Thanksgiving week and weekend, and it is one of my, if, if not my most, favorite weekend of the year and time of the year. I just love Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend. It's just the perfect mix between getting together with family and good food and the excitement of the holidays right around the corner and getting everything out for Christmas. Although I do have a confession to make, I may have gotten some Christmas out a little bit earlier this year than I usually have. My two daughters talked me into it and uh, we've done that. But So for that purpose, this episode I think is going to be a little bit shorter. We're just going to hit on a couple principles this week quickly. I know that all of you have a lot going on as I hope you would, with family and friends and and celebrating Thanksgiving and the holidays. But these chapters in particular, the the theme for this week is Rejoice with Joy, Unspeakable and Full of Glory. And how how many of us would love to feel that way, right? I know when I read that theme, I thought, yeah, that's how I want to be. That's how I want to feel. I want to rejoice with joy, just unspeakable and, and then full of glory. But life is not always that way. Life can be very hard. In fact, for me personally, I've been going through some hard things um, as of late. Uh, One in particular that's been very, very hard. And I did not feel and have not felt like I've had a lot of joy. It certainly was unspeakable. Um, And neither have I felt full of glory. Today's episode and these chapters in particular, I, I really think are for any of you that have gone through anything hard or that are going through something that's hard. When I read through these chapters, it was almost like Peter was speaking to me personally, and I know that he will for you as well. In fact, one of the things I'd invite you to do, young people, and this is a great habit and skill to get into, and really anyone of any age, but to write down before you read these chapters something hard that you're going through. Write down a a trial or a struggle that you're experiencing currently in your life. Everybody has one. I know that you do. And write that down, and then as you go in and read these chapters this week, take that struggle, that trial, that challenge with you, looking maybe more particularly for principles and thoughts that can help you with it in addition to other things. I think that you'll be amazed with how the scriptures will speak to you when we take real questions, real challenges, and real struggles into them. It is almost as if, well, God speaks to us through these words to address the challenges and the struggles that we're currently going through. The background of these chapters is as follows. Shortly after his resurrection, the Savior made a prophecy that must have been troubling to Peter. He foretold that Peter would be martyred for his faith, being carried whither he wouldest not, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Years later, when Peter wrote his epistles, he knew that this prophesied martyrdom was near. Shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. And yet Peter's words were not filled with fear or pessimism. Instead, he taught the saints to greatly rejoice, even though they were in heaviness through manifold temptations. He counseled them to remember that the trial of their faith would lead to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, 
and to the salvation of their souls and probably many others. Peter's faith must have been comforting to those early saints as it is encouraging to saints today who are also partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, we may be glad also with exceeding joy. And I I love that aspect about Peter and his writings and really all prophets. It's been amazing how many of them were shown some of the terrible things that would exist or go on in the world, terrible prophecies and destructions, yet they've always maintained such positivity and such hope. And it's been fun to see that in our own prophets, in modern-day prophets. They are some of the most optimistic people that there are on the planet, despite all of the things that are going on in the world. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. When it's a part of our lives and part of our heart, we just see things different. And so for me, I have a big takeaway this week is I need to spend a little bit more time getting that into my heart and mind to help basically chase away the darkness. And that's the basic principle of life, right? When you turn on a light, the darkness has to leave. And so watch for those things as we go through these few principles. The first one I want to take a look at is a very simple one, but also a very powerful one. First uh, Peter chapter 4 verse 12, where Peter counsels the saints in this way. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. (laughs) And I, I think in modern words, he might say something along the lines of, instead of asking why this is happening, ask maybe what you're meant to learn from it. Don't be surprised if you get pushed to your limits in this life. Don't be surprised if the challenges that you experienced are more than maybe what you wanted to experience. That's a part of life. As the prophet Joseph said, God will try you. He will try me. He will feel after us and I think wrench on our heartstrings is the language that he used. And if we're not fit for that testing, if we're able to endure, then we won't be fit for an inheritance in his kingdom. He is seeking for those that love him above the world and all else and that trust him above all things and all else and that can endure whatever the world throws at us and life throws at us so that we can be everything that we're meant to be in this life and in the life to come. One of the things that Peter points out that I I would have you mark is just a few chapters earlier in chapter 1, verse 7. This is a pretty profound statement and phrase. In fact, one that my daughter shared with me after coming home from seminary one day. She said she really liked this thought that Peter says in this verse, in verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, meaning that of all the riches and all the treasures in the world, some of the things that we may take with us that we treasure the most and that are of the most worth to us are, in fact, the trials of our faith. I kind of like that thought. Instead of collecting hard times and difficulty, difficult situations and challenges and heartbreaks, I'm collecting things that are worth more than gold. (laughs) So bring them on, right? Uh, Just keep bringing them because I'm going to be sitting pretty in the the next life with the the trials I know I've gone through and I'm sure each of you are going through. It's just a way of kind of taking the edge off of the pain and helping us to look a little bit different at the things that we experience. One of the talks that came to mind when I thought about this has to be Elder Neil A. Anderson's talk 
titled The Fiery Trial of Faith. And to start out his talk, he shared of a, a personal experience with some people that he know and, and alluding to really what was probably one of their greatest trials. In the, the beginning of talk, his talk, he says, 10 years ago, as my wife Kathy and I were living in Sao Paulo, Brazil, President David Marriott was presiding over the Brazil-Sao Paulo Interlogos Mission. He and his wife, Neil, uh, and their sons, Will, Wesley, and Trace, lived near us. They had left their home, their business, and many of their family to respond to a call from the prophet to serve a mission. President Marriott called me one afternoon. Their precious, righteous, 21-year-old daughter, Georgia, a senior in violin performance at Indiana University, uh, had been hit by a truck while riding her bicycle home after a church meeting. <laughs> Do you see the point that he's making here already? These are people that are living incredibly righteous lives in just about every aspect that you can imagine. And this is what's happening to them. On first report, Georgia was doing well. Hours later, her condition dramatically worsened. Family and friends began fasting and praying for a miracle for Georgia. Her mother flew through the night from Brazil, arriving in Indiana the next day. She was met by her older children, who tearfully explained that they had been with Georgia as she passed away. He said, I watched the Marriott family at the time of this experience and in the months and years that followed. They wept, they prayed, they spoke of Georgia. They felt immense pain and sadness, but their faith did not falter. My question is always, how? How can I maintain my faith when it's being tested so deeply and so severely? Because I've been there before myself, as I'm sure many of you had, and it's so easy to question God and His love for you and His plan for you and really everything that you've ever known when some of these trials, these fiery trials of faith come. But he adds this in his talk, and I've learned this to be true myself. He said, these fiery trials are designed to make you stronger, but they have the potential to diminish or even destroy your trust in the Son of God and weaken your resolve to keep your promises to Him. These trials are often camouflaged, making them difficult to identify. They take root in our weakness, our vulnerabilities, our sensitivities, or in those things that matter most to us. A real but manageable test for one can be a fiery trial for another. Boy, that's a powerful statement. Let us never jump to judgment in what somebody's going through. Because that is so true. I know that I've gone through things that other people would probably pass in a matter of minutes or seconds. But yet for me, has been so hard and heavy that it's taken me years to overcome and get through. We never know what might be a fiery trial for one and something quite simple for someone else. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. All of our trials, whatever they are, are our trials. And they're real and they're heavy to us which is why we need to help everyone with whatever they're going through to carry their load. But then he asked this very powerful question, the question of questions. How do you remain steadfast and immovable during a trial of faith? Thankfully, he gives the answer, and I want you to listen to this very closely. You immerse yourself in the very things that helped build your core of faith. You exercise faith in Christ, you pray, you ponder the scriptures, you repent, you keep the commandments, and you serve others. 
when faced with a trial of faith, whatever you do, he says, you don't step away from the church. Distancing yourself from the kingdom of God during a trial of faith is like leaving the safety of a secure storm cellar just as the tornado comes into view. The entire talk is wonderful and one that I would encourage you to read, but I wanted to start out with that because I really feel that that is something that every single one of us needs to learn and to recognize and will go through. There have been times in my own life where I was going through things that I just didn't want to. My divorce, one of them, a a breakup, uh, there was another one. Um, The extended duration of being divorced, it was something I never thought I experienced, nor anything that I ever wanted. In fact, if I had to pick one thing that I didn't want to be tested on in my entire life, it would have been this. (laughs) How ironic is that? And I think that in some ways is what Peter and Elder Nelson are saying, don't think it's strange when you get tested in ways that you don't want to be tested in because that's where the greatest testing is going to happen because that's where the greatest faith can potentially be found. But it's also potentially destructive to us unless we do those very things that Elder Anderson points out. And I can attest to that. What has helped me pass through my trials has been digging my heels into the church, has been going more often, has been paying attention to everything that I can, to immersing myself in the scriptures, to praying with as much intent as I could, to repent of the sins that I was currently involved in or committing, to do everything that I could to serve others has been the very thing that has helped me endure those things the most doesn't mean that I endured them well all the time. And, and I think we got to be patient with ourselves as much as with other people. There were times where I was very angry and upset with God. And, and he gives us space to work through those things. But yet the answers are still the same. I've always been a little bothered by President Nielsen's statement when it comes to accessing the power of Christ. That he says, when you reach for Christ with the same intensity as a drowning man, reaches for air, then you will have access to the power of Christ and you'll feel that power come into your life to help and assist you. And I thought it really has to get that bad. <laughs> it has to get that bad to where I am drowning and and have to reach for him in that same manner. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, what happens when a person is drowning? Everything else goes away, but what? The ability to breathe. That's it. They don't care about what kind of clothes they're wearing. They don't care about how their hair looks. They don't care about the car that they are driving. They don't care about what other people think. They don't care about anything else but just getting air. That becomes number one priority to them. And what I think President Nielsen is trying to teach and to imply in that statement is that in order for us to truly access Christ's power in the way that we are going to need it today, especially when it comes to facing our own fiery trials of faith, is that he has to become priority number one. When we wake up in the morning, how quick are we to hit our knees? How quick are we to make time to read our scriptures? How quick are we to pay our tithing when that paycheck comes? How quick are we to to go to church when... Other things are going on on Sunday. How much of a priority are we making Christ? 
until we make him that kind of level of priority in our lives, we may be not we may be unable rather to tap into the power in the way that we need to. Now, some questions to consider for this particular principle is one, what has been a fiery trial of your faith that you've gone through? Number two, why do you think Peter refers to them as gold? I would love for you to to mull over that thought. Number three, how has your trial helped you to develop greater strength and greater faith? Or past trials? What would you tell someone who is going through something hard to encourage them and to strengthen their own faith? And then maybe most importantly, how can you apply that advice to you in your situation and whatever you might be going through? Our second principle is kind of connected a little bit to the first. And I think you'll see a little bit later on, Peter refers to the saints in a very direct way, in a powerful way. In chapter 2, verse 9, that's where I'd like you to go and mark all of the different titles that he gives to the early saints that really we can give to ourselves. Number one, he says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, unholy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the things I've heard mentioned quite a bit by the brethren, by prophets, is that when you choose Christ, you choose to be changed. You are going to be a different person. I think it was Elder Wilcox that said, God loves you just as you are, but he also loves you too much to leave you that way. And these are all different words that I would have you mark and that I've marked myself that kind of say a little bit something about who we are and what we have the power to be. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why are we meant to be different? So that we can show forth praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. To help others come to know him because they know us. One of the talks that came to mind when I read this verse was President Benson's talk that he gave years ago titled To the Youth of the Noble Birthright. It was given to young men in the priesthood but can easily be applied to the young women of the world today as well. One of the things that he says in this talk is that your most important friendships, speaking to the young people, should be with your own brothers and sisters, with your father and mother. Love your family. Be loyal to them. Have a genuine concern for your brothers and sisters. Help carry their load so that you can say, like the lyrics of that song, He ain't heavy. He's my brother. I bring that up, young people, because one of the ways that you can really stand out and be different, especially to others and to the world, is the way that you interact with your own family. When I, I can't tell you how many times that I have had friends come over um, of my daughters that just saw the way that we were or the spirit in their ho- and that was been in our home and have asked questions about, wow, there's just seems to be so much love here, so much peace here. And you seem to just be so close to each other. That is a real power that can be felt, that can be seen, that can be experienced by those around us. In the same talk, he says, referencing the power of the scriptures, in helping us to become these things, that the Book of Mormon will change your life. It will fortify you against the evils of our day. 
It will bring spiritually into your life those things that no other book will. It will be the most important book you will read in preparation for a mission and for life. A young man, or I would add a young woman, who knows and loves the Book of Mormon, who has read it several times, who has an abiding testimony of its truthfulness, and who applies its teachings, will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and will will be a mighty tool in the hands of the Lord. Give me a young man or young woman, he says, who has kept himself or herself morally clean and has faithfully attended his or her church meetings. Give me a young man or young woman who has magnified his priesthood and has earned the duty of God award and is an Eagle Scout. Give me a young person who is a seminary graduate and has a burning testimony of the Book of Mormon. Give me such a young person. I will give you a young person who can perform miracles for the Lord in the mission field and throughout his life. Now, I took a little bit of liberty in, in applying it to young women as well because it was delivered to the young man. But I think you can see my point there is that we are meant to be different. You are going to be different. And there is power that you can access when you are. But it requires us to go against the grain a little bit. I don't know if any of you have ever watched the the series, The Chosen, which depicts the life of Christ. One of my favorite, and it's not even made by members of the church, but yet it is so powerful in its depiction of the Savior and who He is. But one of the ways that it always starts out is it shows a bunch of fish swimming. And one changes color and starts swimming in the opposite direction. And then another, and then another. And these fish begin to swim against the current and against all the other fish. And it's a a simple little visual, but it is a powerful metaphor message. That's what happens when Christ chooses us, a chosen generation. We are going to be a peculiar people. We're going to stand out from the crowd. We are going to, at times, feel like we're going in the opposite direction of the world. And that is okay. And that's a part of God's purpose and plan. He needs us to, to be able to bring light to those that are in darkness. Some questions for you to consider about this principle is, what does it mean to you to be referred to as a chosen generation? What about a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people? What? In what ways does living the gospel and choosing to follow Christ set you apart from others? How have you already been looked at differently by others and being somewhat peculiar for living and standing for your beliefs? I know that you have, and it's good to recognize that. For the last principle quickly I want to take a look at today, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. This one kind of ties into all of them. Um, Peter says this at the beginning, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And I want you to mark that phrase, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter is teaching the importance and the value of covenants and walking the covenant path. We've heard so much mentioned 
by the brethren today and by our beloved prophet. That's the key to all of it is our covenants. And as I've been reading through the Book of Mormon this year, I have been amazed at how often covenants are brought up. The fulfilling of covenants are brought up. God referencing the covenants and the promises that he makes to his children and that he's made to us. It's, as he says, we have been given great and precious promises and that by these promises, by these covenants, that's what will help us become partakers of the divine nature. That's where the change happens. It's living our covenants. And that's what will help us to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then, as he goes on in verse 5, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it all starts with covenants. Remember the Savior mentioning that straight is the the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And he's referencing the covenant path. But guess what? You found it. You are on it. We are on it together. We just need to keep going and keep moving regardless of what life throws at us, what challenges, temptations, trials that we face. Don't quit. Don't give up no matter what happens. Whatever you're called to pass through, we can hold on to our covenants to see us through them. A couple quotes that I love just as it relates to covenants. This one from President Uchtdorf uh, in his great talk recently that Jesus Christ is the strength of youth. He said, Jesus might point out that your covenants with him made when you were baptized and renewed each time you partake of the sacrament give you a special connection to him. The kind of connection the scriptures describe as being yoked together so that with his help, you can carry any burden. What a wonderful statement. In another talk titled, Abide in Me and I in You, Therefore Walk With Me, from Elder Bednar, just this past April, he says, We begin to abide in the Lord by exercising our moral agency to take upon ourselves his yoke through the covenants and ordinances of the restored gospel. The covenant connection we have with our Heavenly Father and His resurrected and living Son is the supernal source of perspective, hope, power, peace, and enduring joy. How many of us could use those things when going through our challenges and trials to stand out against the crowd when it's hard? It is also the rock-solid foundation upon which we should build our lives. President, uh, or rather, Elder Dale G. Renland said of accessing God's power through covenants, President Russell M. Nielsen taught us how to do this. He promised each person who makes covenants in baptismal fonts and in temples and keeps them has increased access to the power of Jesus Christ to lift us above the pole of this fallen world. In other words, we can access the power of God, but only when we connect with him through sacred covenants. He also said that before the earth was created, God established covenants as the mechanism by which we, his children, could unite ourselves to him. Based on eternal unchanging law, he specified the non-negotiable conditions whereby we are transformed, saved, and exalted. In this life, we make these covenants by participating in priesthood ordinances and promising to do what God asks us to do 
And in return, God promises, promises us certain blessings. He basically promises us everything. And I don't know about you, but when I think of what it means to live a life like God lives, that gets me excited. <laughs> he himself has said that, Ear hath not heard, neither hath I seen, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which he has for them that, that love him. His life is worth having. His life is worth everything that we might be called to go through in this life. Holding on to our covenants to him is what binds us to him and allows us to have the power to see us through them. So young people, one of the the great lessons I'd hope you take away from this is the value of covenants in your own life, whether it's partaking the sacrament, attending the temple, doing those priesthood covenants that help connect you to him on a weekly and even sometimes daily basis are the things that can make all the difference in the world and in your life. Some questions for you to consider might be, what promises has God made to you that you are holding on to the most? And how can you better keep your part of the promise? Why are covenants, do you think, such an important part of the gospel and of God's plan? And what does it mean to you personally to walk the covenant path? Maybe most importantly, what promises have you been struggling with or maybe even broken that need to be mended? I hope these thoughts, as always, have been helpful. There's so many great things in here, and I hope you take my advice, my counsel, my challenge, whatever you want to call it, the beginning of this to heart, to write down just in a few words something hard that you're going through, and then prayerfully go into these chapters looking for guidance, for comfort, for direction, for peace, because they're in here. If you look for them, you will feel Peter speaking just as much to you as he spoke to the ancient saints back then. Now, thank you as always for joining me. I hope that each and every one of you has a wonderful Thanksgiving and a great start to the Christmas season and holiday. I'm excited for these next few weeks and the things we'll be learning as we go through this Come Follow Me curriculum together. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness and blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens.